Welcome to the Monstrous Flesh podcast, where we explore the evolution and role of women in horror, as well as familiar tropes of the genre through a feminist lens. There will be spoilers in this episode, so if you haven't seen the film yet and don't want us to ruin it for you, pause this podcast and come back when you're ready for a deep dive into it. I'm Meg, one of your podcast hosts. Hi everyone, I'm Clelia, the other host of the podcast. And in this series, we're turning our attention to the representation of female monsters in horror cinema. And in each episode, we dissect one film that we feel fits the bill particularly well. And today, our film is Pearl. So, Clelia, would you like to give us a synopsis? I'm going to try my best. I'm going to try my best for this one. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Pearl is a sequel, prequel to Thai West film X, and it was co-written by the director and Mia Goth, who plays the eponymous character and, of course, also stars in X and the upcoming third segment of the trilogy, Maxine. So, the year is 1918. The first war rages and a flu pandemic is claiming casualties on the home front. But Pearl has big dreams that extend far beyond her life of joyless drudgery on her parents' farm in rural Texas, while her husband, Howard, is off fighting in the war. Pearl wants to dance and plans to find her way out of Texas and into adoration and move stardom. When she learns an audition at the local church, she realises that this is her chance to escape her overbearing mother once and for all, and no one is going to get in the way of Pearl's dreams. Da, da, da. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Da, da, da. <laughs> yes. So um, do you want to tell us why, um, why we chose this film? Um, well, we chose the film cynically because it's uh, current and we want listeners to listen. Um, mm-hmm, but less mm-hmm. cynically than that, um, when we were just sort of discuss- discussing about us both going to see it, I think, I know I thought, and um, I think you felt the same clearly, that this is a really good example of monstrosity in horror that is much more realistic rather than it being we've done werewolves we've done vagina dentata you know we're going to do mermaids we're going to do all these things um but this is a monster that is much closer to home but also is she well is she monstrous she does monstrous things but do we think that makes her monstrous so i think it's an interesting one to discuss yeah, super interesting. Do you mind if I tell the listeners actually? Because that that's not the film that we were going to cover initially. We'd chosen, we we'd um, we'd agree on another film, and then um, uh, last late last week, I got a, an excited text from Meg <laughs> saying, "Have you seen Pearl yet? <laughs> if not, go and watch it." And you know, we should talk about it <laughs> on the podcast. So um, I'm so glad you did because um, kind of unpopular opinion out there. So don't come at me, listeners. But uh, <laughs> I wasn't a fan of X. <laughs> I really wasn't a fan of X. Um, I found it a little disappointing in its execution mm. um although stylistically i thought it was great so um and in that respect i think that pearl delivers big time and that kind of reeled me in straight away watching the film 
the cinematography by mm. um, Elliot Rocket, presents the world of Pearl in glowing Technicolor mm. um, and gives us a storybook world of, of uh, full of potential. It's, you know, you get those you know, bright green grass, a blood red farmhouse. It's giving Wizard of Oz. Mm. It's giving Disney princess vibes. <laughs> in fact, in these early scenes, I don't know what you thought, but you kind of always expect Pearl to break into songs. Yeah. But then instead, her grasp around the pitchfork gets tighter <laughs> and Mr. Goose, Mr. Goose gets it straight oh, away and, and i kind Goose. of like that i yeah, don't know no. but this this early scene really kind of it kind of got me hooked and i thought okay this is uh this is a different type of film than x and um mm. I, i'm there for it i mean one thing i did notice actually um and i don't think this is too early in discussion to bring it up one one of the things i was struck by is um <clears throat> how like referential it is to other films. So obviously Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. and that's a comparison a lot of people have made and I think, yeah, that sort of opening shot and even the the sort of text that they use is very old Hollywood movie and it all feels yes. like really, you know, bucolic and beautiful and it's this farm and it's saturated in colour and it's got that real technical vibe, which I love. I love that contrast to that with, with sort of the darker things that's going on and I think that's a really strong um aspect of film but as i were watching it i just thought there's so many references so obviously ty west did a film about jonestown which i've not Mm -hmm. seen but i have heard people talk about and i thought that sign the farm sign was so jonestown like at the end of the lane and what's it called like gun powder farm or something and it just made me think straight away about that you know that archway leading into jonestown and then even like pearl herself she's very baby jane She's got bows in her hair. She's got big flouncy oh, yeah. sleeves. It's like this real callback to that sort of childlike monstrosity that I love so much in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. I mean, it's one of my favourite films. So I might be drawing inferences mm-hmm. that other people don't agree with. Maybe I want to see Baby Jane no, everywhere. No, I totally agree with that. <laughs> but even yeah, like... Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Like the, the, the manicness in her character is like yeah. really reminiscent of, um, of Baby Jane. I agree, yeah. Yeah, and then... Last one that I sort of really picked up on was um, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, particularly at the end, that sort of macabre feast at the end. And, you know, they're all sitting there and and I just it just reminded me so much of that that dining room scene in a Texas Chainsaw. And I thought it's nice to see a filmmaker being so overt in the references. I like to see, you know, mm-hmm. see influence and not trying to like, not trying to hide it as though every film everybody makes is totally original and unique. Like we're all just a, a soup, aren't we? We're a super as experiences. Um, so yeah, I did notice that. And I thought that were a really nice sort of layer to it. Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it really, I mean, I thought the, the, I think the whole trilogy anyway is kind of an ode to uh, cinema and filmmaking, mm. right? And lo- love, for, love for movie. I love that the, the alligator is called Theda yeah. after, you know, Theda Barra. Yeah. And actually she is referenced later on in the film because the, I think the cinema plays Cleopatra. Yeah. That was released that year. Um, so it's kind of like all the, all those little Easter eggs, um, that I love. But yeah, the, um, like I said, the whole trilogy really is around, um, around filmmaking. I think X was very much about the process of filmmaking. I think this one is very much about, um, actors mm. and their process as well and kind of like poking fun a little bit at, 
um, you know, at um, you know what you know what happens in the in the in the psyche of actors and their you know desperate need mm. for um, you know for recognition and for being seen. So I you know I mean obviously there's a lot of themes that you know that that um, that are thrown into Pearl, but I kind of love that you know he plays with that he um, plays with that a little bit. Yeah, I mean I have to say as well, and and don't like you know castigate as listeners. Um, but I wasn't a massive fan of X. Um, and I think the reason why we both share a similar reason for f- similar reasons, I should say, for, for dislike. Yeah. I feel like dislike's too strong a word. I feel that Pearl is again, I don't want to say a better film, because I but I think with X, I were very disappointed by the the ending of it and how it sort of seemed mm-hmm. to go directly against where they'd been establishing Pearl as a character all the way through. But again, beautifully shot, yeah. you know, it's it's something I think I would need to think deeper about it. And I think it'll be interesting once Maxine comes out to see it as a, a sort of trilogy of films. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I did see that they've released a little teaser trailer for Maxine. Um, and I know, really yeah. <laughs> and I am really excited because I was thinking, obviously, Pearl's origin story, we sort of know the end. So we know going back that, you know, there's going to be something that that's tipping her into violence but with Maxine it's sort of like the opposite because she's been pushed into this mm-hmm. violence and and how is that going to evolve so I am interested to see it um and also it's set in 1985 I think which I love the 80s in Hollywood I the excess know. and the it's glamour so um but I mean that sort of that idea about glamour and Hollywood and you know stars in your eyes is very a common thread throughout all three like you've said and particularly in Pearl like she's so desperate for that recognition isn't she and that fame and it's yeah I think she's a very um a very interesting character um very... I think she is interesting and, um, uh, you know, it's, it's great to get it. First of all, I mean, I love that we live in an age where we get, you know, villains origin stories because, mm. you know, it's so uh, it's really yeah. great to be, you know, to be able to tell the stories from that side. But also, I mean, what I didn't particularly love about X is that um, her character felt very one dimensional. Yeah. Um, so to, you know, to then go back and like to realize, you know, like what a really profound character she is mm. um and i mean i've read that people i don't know quite a lot of criticism about you know the in a way not the way she's written but kind of way, the way she's acting and yeah. people are kind of like you know you you get a sense that she's crazy and this and that but um actually i think it goes really really deep into you know the reasons for her being pushed mm. over the edge and you know and and acting the way she does so um so yeah in that sense it kind of made me almost made me want to then to go back and and, and watch x yeah. because you you know you get to to look at that character in a completely different in a different way yeah and i agree and i think it just adds that depth to it doesn't it that you could because I, I think I've been sort of trying to th- thinking it. I was coming at it. I was thinking about it today and coming at it a bit more from a sort of psychologist sort of lens. And and I think that there's this real. I mean, there's sort of an implication that perhaps. She, I mean, it, she's never sort of diagnosed with anything. People just say she's strange. You know, she she makes people feel uncomfortable. And yeah. I and I do feel sorry for her in them them moments because she no one can tell her why. They just say, mm-hmm. You make me feel weird. You're weird. Um and, and it's it's such an alienating place to be 
to be told by people mm-hmm. around you that you're weird, but they can't tell you why, so you can't not be weird, whatever that means to them. Um, and I and I did, I did really feel for her in that, and it made me just think about you know all the women who have pushed against boundaries, who have refused to accept mundane drudgery, a life of service to others, and who are labelled as mad or you know unstable. Oh, uh, you know, and it, 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 that is the very sad core of it, I think. I mean, I did see today that it were labelled as a slasher. And I, <laughs> and I suppose mm. it is, but it don't, I don't think it is. I think that reduces it. It's to, an accident. It's an, yeah, an incidental slasher, right? Yeah. An accidental slasher. I would say, yeah. like, it's definitely not, that's not, you know, that's not where you should watch it for sure. No, to me, the horror of it is very much like something like whatever happened to Baby Jane. It's the horror of a dream destroyed and a life that isn't what you want it to be. And Absolutely. that is, is such a relatable horror, I think. Such a, you know, something that we've all felt at some point, you know, I'm sure. And and there were moments, for me, I don't know about for you, but there were moments of very uncomfortable recognition when, you know, she were like, well, why not me? Why, what have I done? Why have I got mm-hmm. this? And, you know, I think we've all felt like that, haven't we? Like, why is this me? Why, is, why can't I get this opportunity? Or why have I been landed with this? Or, you know, and it's very, I, very human. Yeah, no, absolutely. And... And the um, the fact so it's so it's set in 1918, and um, so it's like well, I think it's like 68 years before uh, before X takes place. Mm. So so you know if it's a probably supposedly about 16 years old, I guess mm. you know in the, in um, in in that film then. So so to call her emotionally immature, as I've mm. you know as I've read in, in some review, is it's um you know it's kind of really BS in my opinion. I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but you know I also had crazy unrealistic ambitions when I was sixteen, mm. and yeah, okay, I didn't murder anyone as a result, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like I, I just I, as you said, is you know there are some really uncomfortable moments that we can. Um, that we can really relate to that idea of you know being uh, people asking you to accept a mm. you know a, a, a reality that you know actually you should be allowed to mm. you know to to uh, to live and live out your ambitions yeah um, you know even if it's even if it's for them to not be realized and you know she has this conversation with her mom at one point and you know say to her let me do this and if I'm no good at it and if it doesn't work out then you know at least at least I know I will have tried yeah. She's not even given that opportunity, so it's it's kind of yeah, it's heartbreaking, really. Well, it is, and I think as well, what makes it doubly heartbreaking is it's such a small dream. You know, it's a church troop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. such a yeah. small dream, but it shows how small a life has has become. You know that she that that is that she's willing to to destroy her life over that, over a chance, over an audition for a church troop, because it she's so like pent up in the uh, this farm and i think relationship between her and her mum is very interesting and complicated and i think you know i was watching it and i was sort of thinking god her mum's awful isn't she and then as i got you know through as you sort of moving through film i started to think well actually her mum's probably acting out her absolute fear about because obviously she's german and and we know that they've faced a lot of yeah um anti-German hostility yeah and so she probably thinks i don't want her out there in world where somebody could hurt her just because she happens to be my daughter yeah um and there's also that sense that she does that sense that she wants to 
protect her as well that she's aware that yeah. Pearl is and she's odd you know can be you know. seen as a strange exactly that yeah. she's odd and that people will not get her but she says to her um, you know at one point one day you'll understand that getting what you want isn't what's important mm. making the most of what you have is yeah. and of course you know that that's um, you know that's uh, a uh, you know excuse the pun pearl of wisdom you know that that comes back word for word you know as the, at the end of the film yeah um, you know that that that, that um, horrible acceptance that uh well, you know, this is who I am, and this is the you know the cards I've been the, the card I've been dealt. So yeah, you know, this is what make the most of that. this is what I've got, and I, and you know it's, but also I think I really felt sorry for her mom, you know, because she didn't mm-hmm. want Pearl to leave, obviously, because then she'd be trying to run a farm on her own, looking after a seriously you know ill husband, isolated, no friends because everybody's you know anti-german because at war and i felt really sorry and i think that is um an element that that were quite sensitive like sensitively done i thought mm-hmm. to a point i didn't feel i felt at first like a mum i was thinking oh god you're so awful stop making her go and you know let her just do a dance practice and then she can shovel pig shit like there's time for these things and there's this like rigid you know like a bit like um not as extreme as Carrie's mum, but that same, that rigidity. Yeah, I was going to Carrie's mum, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, you do this now because I've said it's now. No flexibility. Yeah. Um, but then you sort of start yeah, to understand yeah. that as you move through film, that there's a reason for that. Exactly. Um, I wonder how much the influence of Mia Goth helping with the uh, the writing of this film kind of influenced yeah. the development of those, um, you know, of the, of the female characters in it. Because you say it's exactly that. I did, you know, when she first appeared in the film, you know, instantly I thought, yeah, you know, Carrie's mom as well. But actually as the film developed and when you get, you know, that the mom gets to tell her, you know, her own backstory. Mm. And, you know, when she, you know, says, did you think this is what I wanted? You know, mm. for, you know, you, I mean, we, we never re- being really... It's never really discussed what exactly happened to her dad, but mm. you, you get, you know, it's, it's obviously you know suffered a stroke or you know something similar, yeah. and um, you know that so that they they are both you know full time care, um, carers for him. So, but you know you, you get the idea that her mum also had a you know her shattered you know shattered dreams basically mm. that she did, wasn't allowed to live the life that she wanted, and and you know she's kind of resigned to. Um, it's almost like she wants to crush Pearl's dreams because she doesn't want her to suffer the mm. same disappointment she did. Yeah, and I think that's part of it. And I think, you know, on the other side of it, there is also probably a jealousy of you've got the freedom I will never have again. It's that thing about how, um, oh, what's that saying about mothers represent all that might come to be and daughters represent all that never will. And like that's where this tension can come from in mother-daughter relationships, because in mm, daughters, mothers mm. see all their all potential, and in mothers, I suppose, or in this case, at least with Pearl, she very much sees all that her worst nightmare, and actually says to her, "I just don't want to end up like you." <laughs> Which, oh God, I mean, it's true, <laughs> and she, you know, but yeah. when she says it, you think, "Oh God, here we go," and then obviously chaos ensues. But it's that that tension, and I think. As well, the, you know, I mean, we're going to have to mention the absolute heartrending monologue at the end, you know, that, um, that mm-hmm. is, I mean, it, it was so uh, moving, you know, so just, yeah. oh, just gets you, doesn't it? <laughs> moving, disturbing, it's really, yeah, yeah, God, yeah. Oh, shit. 
so I suppose we've covered the uh, you know the the emotional, heartrending, lovely uh, aspects of it. But let's get down to it. Clearly, very rare is it that we see a woman with an axe. Um, and what are your thoughts on the use of the axe <laughs> throughout this film? <laughs> I mean, there's the pitchfork, there's the axe. Mm. <laughs> so yes. I just think it's, uh, I think it's an inspirational story. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, no, but really, I mean, what I, what I love about it actually is that the um, the horror elements seem, um, I was going to say, they seem less gratuitous mm. than in X, for example. You know, it's, um, you know, it, it kind of. I feel like you know it's such it's as a result of you know Pearl being so frustrated and feeling mm. rejected, um, you know by by the world by people that you know she ends up having those outbursts mm. and um, you know and 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 com- com- committing those uh, you know atrocious acts. But um, but yeah, I think it's 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 also done in such a I don't know, in such a relatable way. <laughs> Sound like such a psychopath, I know, but um, but you know, like the, the scene with the um, with with the with the proje- with the, mm. the film project, project with the yeah. projectionist. Sorry, um, you know, I just I kind of like I, I, you know I, I really felt for her in that moment. Mm. You know, when she, she you know when it, when she starts to understand that he's you know that he's being freaked out and he's mm. you know he's trying to make his exist his exit and he's not being fully honest about you know you know what's happening and you mm. can feel her frustration mounting and mounting because she doesn't have those filters she doesn't yeah you know she she you know she, she's not someone who is going to pick up on those social cues it's like what you know what have i done wrong mm. you know why you know you obviously lied to me you said you were going to whisk me away and take me to europe and all of a sudden you know you all you you know you can't wait and leave me and i'm not going to let this happen mm. and i have to say i did root for her in that moment <laughs> like for me it's like it's a it's a good for her moment <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't let him get away with that. Uh, yeah, and I, I think it's it's um, it's as well like that rejection after you, you know, the the sort of well, you've got what you wanted. Which, to be fair, I don't necessarily think were true. I don't think it was that OER was intended to just drop her off and never see her again. But then, mm-hmm. you know, she was behaving very strangely, and then he came in house and like, mm. oh, here's my dad, and he was like, whoa, what? You know, like you're married. It's and I and I felt. I felt for him a little bit in that because I thought this is a lot to be sort of just confronting someone with. But then equally, I think when, you know, as she gets that frustration, as she's saying, just, you know, just be honest with me. And it's a, a recurring theme, I think, throughout film is her saying to people, just tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. But then obviously then as soon as they tell the truth, she sort of puts a pitch through <laughs> she them. She so, hates the truth, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so it's a bit... Just, I mean, I did wonder about that, actually. I think that was my biggest... Not quandary with it. I, I suppose my question would be, do you think that Pearl is... Do you think our sort of reaction to Pearl is designed to be quite morally ambiguous? And is that yeah. is that problematic? Is it should you know, should we be feeling one way or another, or do we need that complexity? No, I think it I think it is great that he makes us feel morally mm. ambiguous because you know, I think like again in you know, in the sequel, then you know, you just you know you know very well where you stand, mm. you know, um when it comes to you know, when he when it comes to, to her. You're kinda of like she's the evil hag, right? Mm. You know, she needs to be she doesn't get to have you know uh, sexual desire. She, you know, must be destroyed and she's evil but in this one it's kind of it's almost like turning the mirror on us right Mm -hmm. and be like you know well you know if we look at her 
you know, her situation, if we can relate to her in some respect, um, you know, so does that make her entirely evil? Mm. And, you know, it's like, you know, at the end, it's kind of, you can, as you said, it's, you know, she's, you know, her reactions to things like she's like, oh, you know, um, be honest with me. But then, you know, she obviously can't take it. She you know, can't <laughs> send people bursting her bubble, yeah. <laughs> you know, basically. But also... I don't know. I think you know you do feel for her. I think you know by the end of the, by the end of the film, you still you still feel. I don't know. I feel very um, very very emotionally attached to her for some reason. <laughs> no, but I, I think you know, like when when she has the audition and she's making a scene, and I were really pleased that she were making a scene because that you know there's that woman there going oh come on now be good don't spoil it and i mm-hmm. thought how many women don't have heard scene. don't make a scene don't spoil it and and internalized it and been quiet and not let that that rage out and i think to see someone just letting it out i mean that is very cathartic i think for a, it was yeah yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful moment in the film i think she's a star i'm a star star. you know very um (laughs) very sunset boulevard but um it's it yeah and i and you know her reaction to things although extreme and I'm not saying, you know, pitchforks through people are the way to go. But I think when she's when she gets she's quick to express herself, like in anger, in emotion, in tears and stuff. And I think it's refreshing to see that because women are conditioned from childhood to keep yourself, you know, don't don't make a scene. If you do anything, it's just crying softly in a corner. Don't be angry. Don't be, you know, and it's very toxic. So I think it's nice to see someone going, actually, fuck that. If I want to scream, I'm screaming. And she does scream a lot. Exactly. I mean, Mia Goth's throat must have been destroyed scream after this. Scream film. queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also, you know, in in terms of you know when we look at the origin of monstrosity for, um, or you know the, the origin of evil for mm. you know female characters in horror, I think we never given that much detail about mm. about it, or you know reasons that are outside of you know women scorned yeah. or. You know, just like, you know, she's evil because her mother was evil with her. You know, with Pearl, mm. there is, you know, there's so much more there. It's like it's not rooted yeah. to one single element. It is, you know, she's just, you know, angry at the world that won't give her what she believed. What she, you know, she really believes that she is better than this, that mm. she deserves, you know, um, to be loved. I mean, she yearns to be loved so yeah. much. And it's that corrosive needs, that yeah. corrosive need that, you know, that has been expressed there. And I... I love, I love how it's being, you know, reflected in, you know, in the rot, you know, of the, mm. you know, in the second half of the film, everything starts rotting, you know, yeah. rotting away. And it's kind of like, it's almost like, you know, uh, you know, the way it's eating at her mm. is like, you know, coming out. And that's, yeah, totally. I mean, I totally agree. I think that's a really amazing sort of encapsulation of it because that is what's happening. She is just totally breaking down and and not... And it's becoming much harder. Obviously, she's she's kept this lid on everything, sort of. Like, you know, her mum says, oh, I've seen you when you think no one's watching. Obviously, she's been, you know, there's been sacrifices more than Mr. Goose. Um, but mm-hmm. she can keep it. It's sort of been kept under control, but pressure and pressure and pressure has mounted on her. And she's just absolutely incapable now of keeping a lid on it um, and that keeping is... Keeping a lid hiding it. Yeah, and that is always... I mean, you see that in in other films and I always think seeing characters when they've got to that like breaking point of how much can they stand and they can't stand anymore and then what happens on the other side of that I always think is is really interesting um 
And and I, I feel it's like uh, she's kicking against society and I don't think you can criticise her for that, particularly then, you know. Um, yeah. Not much yeah. better now, really, if we're honest. But um, No. I- <laughs> you know. But, yeah, but just for her to kick against it and go, this is not acceptable, I will not settle, I will not accept and I will not settle for this, is really powerful. I understand for that. I like the fact that uh, one thing we haven't touched on yet is the fact that it's set sorry, in 1918 yeah. during the Spanish flu yeah. and influenza. And obviously the film was written in, in isolation during COVID. Um, so, you know, again, I was kind of like, that's, you know, I, I really like, you know, that they've done that. Um, and But it's also a reflection, right, on mm. that isolation and how it can push people over the edge, mm. which is very, you know, which, you know, it's, it's, it's a great... Um, um, you know, it's it's a great point of reference for yeah. our time as well because again, I think that's that's one reason why um, Pearl is such a relatable character as well mm-hmm. because we kind of like, oh shit, you know what? I get it. Like, <laughs> no, I nearly went fucking crazy <laughs> during <laughs> during COVID and lockdown yeah. as well. So you know, girl, we you know, we, I'm with you. Yeah, but that's I mean, that's it, and it is really clever to set it then, and that idea about you know that there's some there's disease creeping in. But then also like mm-hmm. there's some in pearl disease, like a some like you said rotten in yeah. pearl that's leaching out, and like this a mum's like trying to contain everything, trying to keep so trying to keep pearl and this like darkness inside her contained, but also keep world out so that this disease don't yeah. you know and this illness don't come in, and that idea about contagion I think is really interesting in it, and how you know that it's and but again isolation so pearl is probably. A little bit odd because she's been trapped on this farm and not really had a chance to like socialize <laughs> you know and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. be around yeah. people and it does i mean it makes you think of, like misery you know how yeah she's yeah. just isolated in that child. place and and she's gone strange you know like it's yeah. um it's, it really shows right in the scene where her, with her sister-in-law and her sister-in-law, come, you know, comes and, you know, the mum brings, you know, that whole pig. Yeah. Um, actually, that was an, uh, another point. So before I forget, I don't know if you noticed, but really picked up on the fact that, you know, because it's during the war and, you know, there is that, you know, that sense of, um, you know, working hard because, yeah. you know, things are scarce, um, sparse. But but actually there is a, an abundance of food yeah. in the first half of the film, you know, that, it, you know, and a lot of the film takes place around, you know, that dinner table but in the first half of the film you get that you know that 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 clearly that you know a clear abundance of film and it's you know and then from you know the halfway point then you you start getting you know the 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 food rotting away and Mm. you know as we as we as we talked about already um but sorry to go back to my original point when uh when the sister-in-law visit and um the way she's you know the way pearl interacts with her you can see that you know pearl is kind of it's almost like she's aware that her social standing is you know is yeah. well below that of uh, of a sustained law so you know her demeanor is like really shy and yeah just you know really wanting to make a good impression around her and really wanting to be you know to to be accepted you know by um by her, uh, or that you know, she really values what you know what what that person think. Um, yeah. I don't know if you, you make anything about you know her relationship with um, you know with the other people that she meets in the film. Yeah, I mean, I think that class element. I mean, surprise, surprise, I'm picking mm. up on <laughs> the, the <laughs> yes. class element. But uh, yeah, I set you up for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you sly, clearly, you sly. Um, I, I think that yeah, the idea that and she talks about it at end. That idea that she saw 
Howard, is it? Yeah. Howard's her husband, yeah. Um, I'm mm-hmm. rubbish with names. This is a recur- going to be a recurring theme. Um, <laughs> and um, But, you know, she said, I saw you and I picked you because I thought you'd take me away from all this. And then he's play acting at being poor, being a farmer, and he can yeah. leave any time he wants, but he's kept her there. And that resentment and that hatred of him and that fact that he could have not gone to war, but he went and he left her. And, you know, all very rational feelings, I think, very justifiable feelings. But, yeah, this mm-hmm, idea mm-hmm. that she thought she'd done the right thing by marrying well, which is what women were always told to do, marry well, marry better, marry blah, blah, blah. And she'd done it and it had still not worked. And you feel that for her that she's tried at every turn to to get away. She worked so hard to escape her reality. um. And she just keeps dropping straight back in. It's like Groundhog Day. It's just every day wakes up on this farm. And, you know, that that eats away, doesn't it? You know, I think it's... So she is... What she does, you know, obviously she's she's pitchforking and axing people and we, you know, we're not condoning serial murder on this podcast. But <laughs> I love that we are, you can, can I just, can I just say, I just love that, that you've used pitchfork as a verb. We are, we are pitchforking. <laughs> you know, but I, I think she's, she's a very, like, you can, if not justify, understand I feel like you can understand mm-hmm. it. You can understand that frustration. Yeah. You can understand that that bitterness, that desperate need to to be anywhere else. You know, like it's it's very very relatable, um, and I think that is interesting. I mean, we talked about moral ambiguity and stuff, and I think it it, it is an interesting thing. Rather, you know, and I do think we have a lot of films have done that, moved away from this good versus evil thing into much more grey, and I I think that does it it provokes a lot more thought when like you've said when you can sort of identify with that person a little bit you're like oh well can't be all bad then (laughs) maybe i'm a bit like pearl (laughs) i watched it thinking oh shit god if i'd have been there i'm you know i might have been (laughs) i probably want to kill mr goose i mean mr goose what poor sacrifice (laughs) poor mr goose you you walked in the wrong theater mr goose yeah silly mr goose (laughs) not ready for the audience (laughs) Uh, but i did i did think how it was clever how it tied to x that idea about oh she weren't young enough she weren't blonde enough even though you said she were meant to be like 16 and she weren't young enough i thought geez what Mm. what you're looking for here i know but you know that idea again you can see how that that's sort of the poison thread in it that runs then through into X about when she is older and she is again mm-hmm. confronted by younger women who are, who are doing, have got sexual freedoms or are doing what they want to do, who've got this independence. And, and I, I thought that were a really interesting way to sort of pull that thread together, you know, to tie it together with first two films. Absolutely. Yeah. It also explains why in X she ends up throwing that young blonde Girl yeah, to, uh, to, to the alligator yeah. <laughs> and takes a shine to um, Maxine. Yeah. Um, what did you make? You know, talking of being relatable, and I know that you know, people will be like, "How do you find that relatable?" <laughs> but what do you make of the uh, of the end credit? Because oh. actually, I just oh, it, well, yeah, I, I just, 
<laughs> yeah, it was smiling through the tears. It was brilliant. I mean, again, mm-hmm. that like Sunset Boulevard, Baby Jane, which are two of my absolute favorite films. But this idea yeah. about putting that grotesque, face on yeah. grotesque, the mask slipping and desperately yeah. trying to shove it back on, and you can see her doing that. And the fact that it kept going all through credits as well. You thought it were going to oh be a couple God, of yeah. seconds, and then I stayed to watch it all, um, and, and I was like. Oh God, I was getting more and more uncomfortable. I was like, oh, is it going to finish? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. You know, I do think I was at the strengths that you must yeah. have taken from her to keep right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely but, how, how, do you, how do you feel Howard felt? Oh God, I, I mean, what were Howard doing? You know, I mean, actually, I did think that. Is, is her husband in X, Howard? Is it the same guy? Or is it? Yeah, yeah, it's the same guy. Oh, yeah. well, so, because I was thinking, uh, yeah, so obviously he was fine with it. You know, yeah. I just love the fact that Yuri came back and she had staged, you know, the oh god, yeah, <laughs> that little dinner party for yeah. him. <laughs> like, you know, what I really want to, I really want to be privy to the conversation that took place after well, that. Well, I did. I were, <laughs> yeah, I did feel like that were a big gap actually, because then obviously we know that he must have stayed, so obviously he didn't have a problem yeah. with it. So maybe there'll be a fourth yeah. film and it'll be like them in middle age or something, and we'll see that they are like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> family or something I'd like that um, but I do think you know I think we need to touch on the scarecrow scene um, yes which is one of the most unusual perhaps and, mm-hmm. and uh, uncomfortable um, sex scenes I've ever seen committed to film um, and I did think when I was watching it you could not pay me enough as an actor to do this so <laughs> Literally, there's not enough money in the world, not for a I gold know. pig. Would I? I, w- she... I was going to say something really vulgar then, and I stopped myself. I forgot this weren't just us talking. Then. <laughs> go on, it's not a PG podcast. You can go for it. I was going to say, I won't freak myself off on a scarecrow for a gold pig. <laughs> I thought she really leaned into it, doesn't she? I mean, you know, she really leaned into that character full stop. Yeah. But um. But yeah, I mean, actually, I I heard a lot of people saying, you know, how, yeah, you know, that that scene made them feel deeply uncomfortable. And yes, just something that you know, I I agree. But I I am gonna sound like a complete weirdo, like, but I think I, I have, you know, I've kind of gone really confessed confessed my my love for Pearl. But there was something really really touching as well mm-hmm. about um, about that scene. You're looking at me like, oh, what? no, no, go on, go on, live and let live. <laughs> no, I mean, probably at the first half of that scene I thought you know the you know you know when she starts dancing with it and you know then she you know pictures that you know mm. the, the projectionist and obviously go freaky on it and um <laughs> and then ends up you know sh- shouting at it you know <laughs> I'm married <laughs> <laughs> but I just I don't know I did, I did you know I again like it was that you know more moral ambiguity um, you know, and you, if you take into context that she is a really young, as we said, you know, 16, 17 year old girl, mm. you know, with probably raging hormones, oh, yeah. <laughs> husband, you know, at war, kind of abandoned her to go fighting in a, in a, in a nonsensical war mm. um, is, I don't know, I think, I think, he's, you know, he kind of expressed something about female desire that, um, you know, didn't make me feel, you know, that uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know, as uncomfortable as people have painted that scene to be. I was yeah. kind of like, I, I don't know. There's, there's some, there was something really, 
um, really profound, I thought, actually, in that scene. I me. think for me, I mean, I know obviously it's a stunt scarecrow, but I think it was more the idea of like, you know, the the all the Beatles and stuff that probably would have were maybe adding to my revulsion. <laughs> and that horrible head on it as well. Ugh. I kept waiting for Scarecrow to come to life. That's too much goosebumps as a kid. I kept waiting for it to like yeah. come alive and, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I mean, that the idea about, you know, female sexuality and particularly pearl sexuality is a thread that runs through both. And I'm sure, and sexuality again with Maxine, and I'm sure it's, you know, it's going to run through into that thing. And repression, one. obviously, no? And, and, you know, repression was a yeah. good one. You know, she's why she ends up, you know, shouting at it, like, you know, how dare yeah. you? Know, like, I'm, you know, I'm married and, like, you know, dare you take advantage of me? Yeah, Scarecrow. <laughs> Inanimate <laughs> object. Mr. Scarecrow. <laughs> Mr. Scarecrow. But, but yeah. After Mr. Goose. Yeah, Mr. Goose is gone. Mr. Scarecrow's a pervert. It's just <laughs> it's a nightmare. <laughs> but, yeah, but I think... It, yeah, it is that. It is that idea about repression and she's been forced constantly to repress herself in every way, you know, not just sexually, but she's just forced to repress herself all the time. And, you know, yeah, her husband's disappeared for months and she's living with her mum and her dad and, you know, it's it's not... Um, and she's a young person. And I think it is good that that, that we're explored in it, you know, that it did sort of... I was going to say yeah. t- touch on that, but that's probably... Uh, probably actually to be fair you know what the probably the scene in the bath made me feel more uncomfortable than the scene with the scarecrow yes that was i mean that was super super uncomfortable i was like just turn i mean that's like okay dad is paralyzed and you know you know you don't get how you know a proper sense of how much he's able to respond to things but you kind of like just turn the wheelchair around like yeah oh so you know put him, put him in his, you know put him in his in his room again or you know like she's like oh i didn't want what i didn't want to waste water it's like well how long can it take to just put him in his room or another room like and that exactly. was weird but then I, di- I did think it spoke to that like naive childlikeness of her that i think even you see in x as well um, but this sort of like she can't understand why a mum would be like that's inappropriate. Not she, you know. I don't think mm-hmm. there's it's uncomfortable, and I were uncomfortable when I saw it. But I don't think it's it don't read to me as like she were trying to be weird. It was just she was still acting no. like a child. It's like she's because she's like on this. So a, a parent, a mum treats her like a child and she behaves like a child in a lot of ways, but then she's like married and she's kicking against this and she wants her independent independence and to be autonomous. And there's like that conflict as well. She's like a child who wants to be an adult, but she is an adult. I, I don't, I suppose yeah. it's, yeah, it is. It's She has a weird um, relationship to sexuality anyway, doesn't she? Yeah. Because I mean, not a weird, but I mean, you know, as it kind of like very, yeah, innocent childlike, you know, almost like not, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not very, you know, those boundaries are not, you know, clear cut, you know, mm-hmm. clearly, you know, when, when the projectionist shows her, um, you know, the porn film as well, she, you know, she doesn't have a, you know, her, 
her reaction is not, you know, oh God, you know, why are you yeah. showing me this? She's very much like, oh. you know, it feels like he's showing showing her a newsreel, you know. Yeah, she's, she's like, oh, like, what's you know, that? Fact about she's just like looking at, oh yeah, what's exactly, that? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, all right, fair enough. So then he goes to sense that, uh, you know, then I think he falls, you know, um, it makes sense then that, mm. that, that she's, you know, exactly that she, she she's very childlike, you know, around her, you know, around her dad in the bath as well. In that yeah. Respect, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Am I making excuses for her? Maybe. Yeah, well, who knows? Who knows? Um, but, I mean, I will say that this week was a little bit tougher on the old folklore corner. Um, but... <laughs> you went for it as well. You still found an angle. <laughs> I still found an angle. So, my angle um, is that I was sort of looking at, um, you know... Um, sort of mythology around women, murderous women. Um, and there are a few, but I, I did decide to settle on our, our you know, personal saviour on this podcast, Medusa. Um, and I'm sure people know, but just in case anyone's not familiar with uh, Medusa, I will just give a little potted history. Um, so Medusa was reported to be this very beautiful woman although she has become synonymous with monstrosity. Um, but after being raped by, I'm not sure if it was Neptune or Poseidon, uh, maybe there's disagreement um, about whom, in fact, it was, uh, in Athena's temple, she was victim-blamed and punished by Athena, who transformed her hair into snakes and basically made it so that anybody who she looks at turned to stone, which doesn't do much for one's social life. Um which obviously led to Medusa living, you know, uh, in a cave alone. Um, but much like the vagina dentatomist that we've talked about uh, in our second episode, so her story, even though she it, ostensibly it's Medusa's story, it in fact centres on the hero, and again, multiple, multiple um, air quotes around that, Perseus, who was the avenging um, hero who came into a cave and cut her head off and then used it as a weapon to turn people to stone. So that is a very sharp potted history of Medusa. Um, and I, I would like to point out that I do say that she was raped because that has been the sort of more modern reading of the texts around Medusa, which does make her mm -hmm. treatment even more horrible um, because she's the one who was blamed for this violence and punished by Athena. Um, but what's interesting is that she has been reclaimed um, as a, as a feminist icon, really, and and you know, um, one of my heroes, and I know one of yours as well, clearly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> definitely our mascot for this season as well. So we love her. <laughs> yeah, um, and and she has become um, a symbol of female rage, actually, which I think is is very mm -hmm. fitting with this uh, podcast. Um, and in fact, the authors of the book, Female Rage, Unlocking Its Secrets, Claiming Its Power, did say that all the women they interviewed for the book when asked what rage looked like did describe Medusa, although they couldn't remember the the details of the myth, but they all talked about, you know, the snaky-haired, furious Medusa. Um, and, you know, I think, as I've said, when we read it through a feminist lens, it is a really hor like, horrible and tragic story. Um but Elizabeth Johnston has called her the original nasty woman. And uh, what, you know, much was made about Hillary Clinton being a nasty woman. Um, and she was often compared to Medusa through the campaign. Um, but it's been said by Elizabeth Johnston that um, 
Medusa is this nasty woman who haunts Western imagination and materialises whenever male authority feels threatened by female agency. Uh, and I thought that, again, was interesting if we think about Pearl, um, who, you know, she is viewed as monstrous by a society that doesn't understand her. And if we take away this murderous side that we've talked about for a minute and actually think about her dissatisfaction with this life that she's got, this drudgery and, you know, servitude and in service to others and never allowed to fulfil her dreams, her desires are understandable and her rage is understandable. And much like Medusa, I think if we look at Pearl through a lens of her reclaiming her own rage and her own power, um, you know, she she is also, I suppose, a powerful symbol for what that looks like for women. And again, you know, with the caveat that I'm not suggesting we all go out axe murdering and pitchforking. Um, but yes, I did uh, manage to get the angle that I wanted in <laughs> on the footlock. I don't know what your thoughts are about that, Clearly, Do you think I've just shoo on that? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I mean, we I, we talked about it a little bit before yeah. before recording that um, that episode, and um, and no, I thought I think it's it's a very um, it's a very valid um, um, comparison to make, mm. actually, and uh, and a proof that once again you, we can uh, <laughs> we can relate, you know, um, everything to to myth and and folklore. Mm. Um, uh, that, not that we're trying hard to do that <laughs> at all, but uh, no, no, but but I no, I, th- I think it's it's um, you know it adds you know even more depth I think to uh, mm. you know to the story and to the themes that are running through the film. So so yeah, I just think it's it's a very interesting um, very interesting point to bring up. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, I am glad because, I mean, I had any opportunity to talk about Medusa, to be honest. But, you know, I do think that, you know, reclaiming of her as a symbol of rage and, and so, you know, rage becoming an acceptable and an understandable part of women's existence, I think is important. And to have mm-hmm. a character like Pearl, you know, as the protagonist of a film rather than just a side character, perhaps, you know, to have the um to have her front and centre and her rage be front and centre and to really see that visceral rage in her um is is very powerful and it does speak to that sort of myth. I always think, you know, this idea that Medusa's rage turned people to stone and, you know, but when you actually look at what led her to live in this cave, isolated and alone and, um, you know, referred to as a monster, she's a victim. And I do think that you can read Pearl yeah. in that way as a victim of circumstance and of Absolutely. You know, society. And, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah a, pro- a product of her own society as yeah. well you know it's like it's 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 almost uh, you know the, it's the world around her that's you know that's that's made her mm. monstrous yeah well so. that yeah absolutely and that's a, i think a really good a good way to to look at it that you know she has rather than some other characters that we've t- you know i suppose it much like ginger is made monstrous by a lycanthrope pearl is made monstrous by patriarchy <laughs> by the mm-hmm. patriarchy yeah yeah <laughs> Exactly, and I mean, this is the the scariest the scariest mon- monster monster of them all. Exactly, <laughs> in exactly. This season. <laughs> so, what about film recommendations then, Clelia? What would we recommend people to watch after Pearl? 
Well, there's a, quite a few uh, quite a few titles came to mind actually watching the film. Um, one uh, that we've both talked about, um, and we kind of you know I, we kind of wanted to uh, give a little bit more um, context around is um, uh, Lizzie, the film um, uh, inspired by um, the real life case of Lizzie Borden. Yes. Um, so yeah, well, I don't know if you wanted to give a listener a bit more uh, context around around that, but Pearl basically, I mean. As, as soon as I started watching the film and that first scene with the pitchfork, I was like, definitely, we've got a, we've got a new Lizzie Borden here. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, Lizzie Borden is one of the most, I would say, in fact, arguably the most famous case of axe murder, I would suggest. And most people know at least the name and, you know, Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her father 40 wax. Um, and it's it's a very interesting one. And there's loads of really interesting books, actually, about, um, about the case and, and stuff. Um, but yeah, essentially very privileged, um, young white woman. And I'm going to, I'm mentioning that because I've got a contrasting case, uh, that I came upon in my research today, um, who was, um, accused of the murder of a mother, uh, a father and a stepmother who were found bludgeoned to death with an ax. Um, there were a big, you know, big case at the time a lot of publicity a lot of press um and it went to trial and uh she was as i recall it she was acquitted i believe acquitted yeah yeah she yes. got away with it she got away <laughs> with it um and then basically bought a house and lived i think in the same town for the rest of her life which has got some gumption really uh-huh. um yeah <laughs> and and yeah so the, they made the film about it um and i it's not i've not seen it actually um, which I still need to see it. Um, but I believe that don't they play up the angle that she might have been having an affair with the maid? Are they doing that's in, right? Yeah, 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 because the maid was a bit of a shady character witness at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be where that comes from. Um, that's exactly. But I yeah, really recommend this one though. If you haven't seen it, yeah, you should definitely uh, go and seek it out. Chloe Savini is fantastic in it. Yes, no, I will watch it. But the case I came across today that I'd uh, thought was also very interesting um, is the case of Clementine Barnabet. So starting in 1909, there were a string of murders that would haunt the towns along the South Pacific Railroad from Texas to Louisiana. Oh, I started it very dramatically there. Um, Close to home. (laughs) For for Pearl, I mean, not for us. (laughs) Yes, yes. But uh, basically entire families were being killed in the homes with an axe. Um, And between 1911 and 1912, more than a dozen families were murdered. And the thing that set this case apart is all the families that were targeted were um, black families living in rural or poorer areas. Uh, And initially, a man called Raymond Barnabet, Clementine's father, was arrested. And indeed, uh, Clementine and her brother did testify against him. But suspicion quickly shifted to Clementine and her brother after the murders continued while her father was in prison. So eventually, these murders were tied to this small religious group known as the Church of Sacrifice. And there was the suggestion that voodoo was involved and that people, um, these people were being murdered for human sacrifice. Uh, And eventually, Clementine did confess to 35 murders and she was sentenced to life in prison at the age of 19. I mean, we don't need to go into... God! Well, yes. I mean, it's quite a shocking, (laughs) quite a shocking case. Um, But we don't need to go into all the, you know, the factors that would motivate someone at 19 to confess to murders when in police custody. Um, But, you know, she... 
it, the, it was always in doubt whether she'd done it or not. And indeed, police didn't really believe her, but they pinned it on her anyway. Uh, and so she went to prison, um, whatever the truth, whether she were involved or not. Um, and then while she were in prison, she had she were labelled a pervert um, and then had some shady medical procedure that apparently fixed her, quote-unquote. Now, no one ever could dig out what this treatment was. It wasn't a lobotomy because they didn't come in until about a decade later. But something happened, they did some procedure to her that fixed her and then she were released and sort of disappeared into obscurity. Um, But there were really heavy racist and misogynist overtones to this story. And basically, as soon as voodoo were mentioned and the fact that Clementine uh, Clementine and her family were were all black... um, parishioners of this church and voodoo were mentioned basically racism as it almost always does took over and no real further investigation were needed but reason why i thought that were an interesting one is to think about that in comparison to lizzie borden who was found in the house with the axe and the dead bodies and said uh i I sort of did it but i didn't do it uh and then basically never did a day in prison um, mm-hmm. And then you've got this 19-year-old, you know, young woman from a, a sort of poor background. She's, you know, facing a racist, corrupt police force uh, and she's confessing to crimes, but it's all really strange and not really enough detail. Um, and yeah, so I thought that was uh, a depressing but um, interesting comparison to make between two White apparent, privilege. Yes, exactly. Two apparent axe mm-hmm. murderers. Um, and the third axe murderer I would like to mention is someone I did a paper on when I did my forensic <laughs> masters, who was called the Axe Man of New Orleans. Um and oh, yes. yes yeah. Never solved. That's all I'll say. Look it up, people, but never solved. But with a name like the Axe Man of New Orleans, I think, you know, no wonder the case mm-hmm. lives in infamy. Um a little true crime corner there. <laughs> yeah, us. I was going to say, we're like, we follow, follow us for more true crime podcasts. The Axeman of New Orleans is, is covered in, um, I mean, you know, in, it's really shortly in, in only one episode of one season of American Horror Story. They touch, yeah. They touch on it. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it's in really, yeah, really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was, a, that was a really true crime moment. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> axe murderers. Not many women axe murderers. So we have to, you know, when we have exactly. examples. Um, but did you have any other film, <laughs> any other films that you would recommend? Not recommending people to take to the axe, but um, yeah, actually, so um, a couple more recommendations, and I, I, I saw this one a couple of days ago, and actually. I thought it would be a good fit because, you know, talking about that, you know, isolation um, and the psychosis that people can, um, you know, develop as yeah. a result of, of of being isolated, of being bullied by, you know, mm. by the world around them, um, mm. is the film Sissy uh, that's ah, available yes. on Shudder. Uh, have you seen, have you seen it's it? It's on um, my it is... list. It's been on my list for ages. Yeah. And I've seen well, trailer for it. Bump it up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, bump I will. Bump it up the least. So it, it directed by, um, directed and written by Halabalo and Kane Scenes. Um, sorry if I'm not pronouncing this right. But um, yeah, I did I did find it a really interesting watch. And actually watching it right after um, seeing Pearl made me think, yes, it's a, it, you know, it's there's, there's a lot of uh, crossovers there mm. uh, that I found really interesting. And um, so, yeah, I really recommend this one. And the last one um, I was thinking about was watching Pearl is Saint Maud. Oh yeah. Um, again, sorry oh, for love not pronouncing that right, but um, 
Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's a, there, there is a lot of. I mean, all those films are kind of character studies, basically. So, um, and I find that really interesting. Again, you know, kind of Pearl, Pearl made me, you know, realize why. Not that I had any doubt, but you know, it kind of like it's a good reminder of like why horror is such a such an interesting genre because. You know, because there are films that like this that can, you know, that can come out of the genre and that that makes you reevaluate mm. um, horror as a genre. You know, people think of horror as being just one thing. And I know that people get pissed off with a label of um, elevated mm. horror for lots of many reasons. I'm not going to go into it now. But, you know, horror really is an umbrella term and mm. there is so many possibilities with it. And to have a film like Pearl and you know, like Sissy, like St. Maud coming out, coming out of it is really yeah it's, it just makes it so interesting mm. yeah absolutely well uh i'm going high camp first um to a point i mean obviously we've talked about baby jane um would definitely recommend sunset boulevard uh but i would also recommend straight jacket um in which joan crawford is wielding an axe um and that's a really brilliant um again that idea about you know unreliable narrator and um a woman who's um transgressed society's sort of boundaries and everything else and it's re- that's brilliant um i mean I, I love betty davis and joan crawford anyway so if i can shoe on one of their films in um and then i also thought about possession actually with that idea about a woman refusing to conform to what society refusing to be palatable and you know um acceptable and i thought that um were a really good example of that i mean obviously we love possession on this podcast <laughs> and then last one i sort of thought about was uh, the haunting uh from is it 1963 the original um haunting of hill house uh, film adaptation which i think is absolutely phenomenal um and it's and that again that idea about you know being sort of corrupted from the inside sort of thing and and you know um isolation and loneliness and i think they're really really well encapsulated in that film I mean anything by Shirley Jackson, you're gonna you're gonna get that. That's you know. And I've been I've been reading a lot of Patricia Highsmith lately, actually, and I just finished Edith's diary, um, which is one of the saddest and most depressing books I've ever read. But again, that put me in mind after watching Pearl uh, uh, like that idea about, you know, women refusing sort of putting on that idea about being put upon so book recommendations now we're moving into we've moved away even from film but you know like a woman being put upon by everybody around her and it just slowly driving her you know to madness and and to to despair like i think that is a, a good if you're more of a reader perhaps uh definitely give edith's diary a read if you want you your week to be ruined So thanks for listening to Monstrous Flesh. Uh, Please join us next time for more discussion about women in horror. You can find out more about us via our website, monstrousflesh.co.uk, where you can find out more about our research for each episode, buy our wonderful merch and see our upcoming events. Keep your eyes peeled for those, everyone. We'd love to hear from you, either via our email or social media channels. And also, please rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and help us spread our spooky word by telling your friends about Monstrous Flesh. But until next time, creep it weird, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>